Good to see each one of you that are here today. You're our guests today. We welcome you. We hope that you feel uh, uh, going to feel welcome at the end of our service. We let our people greet you. Don't run out the door. Make us tackle you to say hi. <laughs> we, uh, we have people do that sometimes, but we just want to let you know that we're glad that you have come uh, to be with us uh, this, this day. The uh, other day I was walking at the park and a man stopped me and he asked me a question. And uh, he, he asked me this. He said, do you know what they call it when a hen lays an egg on top of the barn roof? And I said, what do they call it when a hen lays an egg on the top of a barn roof? I said, I don't know. I think you're going to tell me, though. He said, an egg roll. <laughs> yeah, need the drums. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you finally got it. All right. Uh, today we're going to continue our series on messages from Mark as we have uh, gone through several chapters here, a little bit out of each chapter. And I always regret that I can't preach the whole chapter, but y'all don't have enough time or patience for me to do that. And so we're going to pick something out of these chapters, and we'll be coming to the end of this soon. But uh, we've called this Messages on Mark, and today we're going to talk about on his way to Calvary. And that's where Jesus' ultimate destination was. He had revealed that to his disciples, that he was going to go to the cross and that he was going to die, and that he was going to be buried, and on the third day he would rise again, which he did according to promise. And so here in Mark chapter 14, we're going to read 21 verses. I know that's a long reading, so if you have a Bible or you want to get one of our few Bibles or read it on the screen, uh, you may follow along, and we appreciate you doing that. It says in Mark chapter 14 and verse 1, after two days, was the feast of the Passover and the unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they may take him, might take him by craft and put him to death. And they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble, trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For, she, for ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, may, ye may do them good. But me you have not always. She had done what she could. There's a sermon right there. She had come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, 
Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial to her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him, or to hand him over unto them. And when he, they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And the first day of the unleavened bread, and when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go, and prepare thou that thou mayest eat us the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher or a jug of water, Follow him, and wheresoever he shall go in, and say ye to the goodman of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city, and found, as he had said unto them, they made ready the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him, One by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to him that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. We find that Jesus is going to the cross as he had promised that he would. And, you know, God is orchestrating things all the way to that appointed time where Jesus would go to the cross and he would die as our kinsman redeemer. And notice several things here. First of all, number one, uh, the plot of Jesus' enemies. It says here that in uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, that it was the scribes and the Pharisees that uh, he had gone to uh, that uh, he might seek how that he would uh, betray the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, after two days was the feast of the Passover, unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes uh, sought how that they might take him and craft and put him to death. So the scribes and the Pharisees, as before we talked about last week, uh, they were planning on seeing Jesus die. They wanted to either hush him up or they wanted to kill him. And so we find that Jesus was the tool that would be used in order uh, to, that that might be done in verses 10 and verse 11. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they had heard it, they were glad 
and promised to give him money, and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And so here we find that Judas was the instrument that would hand Jesus over to the scribes and the Pharisees uh, and, the, and these uh, 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 people that wanted to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was the plot. Remember this, remember this, that Jesus said that no man has the power to take my life. He said, I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to raise it. And so when Jesus died upon the cross, he gave up his spirit. They didn't take it. He was not the victim of a crowd. And so today, understand that this was a plan that God was orchestrating. And so we see the plot. And then second, we see the preparation, the preparation of Jesus' body. In verses 3 through 9, uh, we see several things. We see, first of all, and I'm not going to take time to read this to you again, uh, but we, we see uh, this person in verse 3 who was a woman. Other writers identify her um, as Mary of Bethany, uh, and she is the one uh, in, uh, that comes uh, with a, a perfume. Uh, this perfume in the last part of verse 3 is a costly spikener. Uh, some call it a nard, but it was a very expensive thing. It was very extravagant bottle of perfume or a jar of perfume that was probably, uh, you know, worth a, a year's uh, salary. Uh, it was a 300 pence or denarius, which was uh, equivalent to a, a denarius was one day's work. So you put 300 of those, you just about got a year's uh, worth of, uh, of wages there. Uh, and so <clears throat> the perfume, of course, uh, was that uh, costly uh, spikenard. Uh, it was very extravagant. And then in verses 4 and 5, we find the protest uh, that uh, took place. There were some that had indignation uh, within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Uh, and for it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And so here we find the, this murmuring. A lot of times uh, I read one commentator uh, that they, uh, they kind of like, uh, like a herd of cows mooing uh, at her as she had done uh, this uh, extravagant gift of worship as she came and as she uh, took this perfume uh, and as she worshiped the Lord uh, with it. And then we find Jesus' defense in verse 6 and 7. He said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Ye, for ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye will, ye may do them good. But me you have not always. And so here Jesus said, uh, he, he gave his defense, you'll always have the poor, uh, and she will always be remembered. Wherever the gospel is preached from here on out. That's a pretty awesome honor, isn't it? What a blessing it is. And we should constantly, not constantly, but not forgetfully mention this lady because Jesus said don't forget her when we preach the gospel. She was willing to give 
her worship to him. And so we find that this was the preparation of Jesus' body because she knew that he had said he was going to die. And this act that she was doing uh, was one that, uh, you know, to uh, take and to uh, anoint him for burying. And it was something that they did back in that day. And then we see in verses 12 through 17, the Passover memorial, the Passover memorial. Uh, You know, the disciples wondered, where are we going to partake of the Passover? Where's Jesus going to eat? Where's the master going to eat the the Passover? This is a very serious thing uh, for these Jews to, to celebrate the Passover. If you remember uh, in the in the book of Exodus, he told them that you will observe this and you'll do it every year uh, 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 for the rest of your lives. And so as they were probably wondering where they were going to do that, they probably realized that all of these people uh, had convened upon uh, Jerusalem to partake of this Passover. This was a big Deal. This was a big deal, uh, and a big uh, the highlight of all the worshiping uh, that they would do would be in this Passover. That was to remind them that they were a free people. That back in remember in the book of Exodus when the children of Israel were down in Egypt, and God had sent all these plagues upon them, and then. Uh, he, the very last one before Pharaoh would let them go was that they would sacrifice that lamb, they would take the blood, and they put it upon their door, upon, around their door. And the angel of death would come and kill the firstborn of the nations, and those that had the blood applied to their house, the angel of death would pass over. And that was, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, wasn't it? And Pharaoh said, all right, y'all get out of here. The people, the people of Israel, uh, of Egypt, I mean, they said, uh, you know, whatever you want, we're going to give you our gold, our silver, whatever you need, get y'all out of here. Take everything you got. Get out of our sight. We don't need any more plagues around here. We don't need any more death <coughs> around here. And so they did that. And the Lord said, you keep this Passover in mind the rest of your life by partaking of this meal. And it's a very uh, you know, serious thing with Jewish people. And so the thing that I wanted to notice is the fact that God prearranged all the details uh, for this meal. <clears throat> we notice in verse uh, uh, 15, it says, And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. There make ready for us. And so this is, you know, there's a lot more than I got time to talk about here. But I always was amazed by the fact that God had everything prearranged, just like he did the donkey. <laughs> he, he, was, he was ahead of the game. And so uh, we find that the people involved were like the, this man that he, he, he told them, he said, go and find this guy, and he's going to be carrying a water pitcher or literally a water jug. Well, that's highly unusual because you didn't see men carrying a jug. That'd be like a fellow walking down the road with a purse, amen. And, and so usually it was the women. Remember the woman at the well? The women would go, and they would go to the well, and they would uh, get the water. 
And so you're going to find a man doing a woman's job. And, uh, you know, I could scratch me off a place here and talk about some stuff, but I won't do that and get us guys in trouble. But uh, nevertheless, you know, this is going to be an unusual thing. You see him, you follow him, you follow him, and he's going to take you where you need to be in verse 13. And then in verse 14, he said there's going to be a, a, a house owner waiting for the disciples. He's going to be waiting there. Uh, and, 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 and he's going to, you're going to go and you're going to, you're going to ask him, uh, do you have a room prepared? for the master to observe the Passover. And then in verse 15 and 16, we find that the room was prepared. It was not only ready, it was ceremonially clean. And understand that when you observe the Passover, you had to get rid of all the leaven in the room that you were to partake of the Passover. All the leaven had to be gone. And so it had to be swept. It had to be spotless as the master came to observe the Passover that day. And so hindsight is 2020, isn't it? How many times do we look back and see that God had orchestrated things in our lives when hard times had come, that God had worked it out? And we didn't see it while we were going through those hard times, but we look back and say, you know, he was there all the time. He was there all the time. And so we find uh, there was an indictment in verse uh, 17 through 21, one will betray you. And in, uh, in verse uh, 19, he says, they began to be sorrowful unto him. One by one, they said, is it I? Is it I? And so today we have to ask ourselves that question. That's a sermon in itself. Is it I? I think I've preached that here years ago. Is it I? And uh, it's a provoking question. We might ask ourselves, is it I that needs to place my faith and trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Is it I that have done that, but I've never followed the Lord in baptism? Is it I that needs to come and, and join the church and get active and to, uh, and to serve him through a local New Testament church that he might receive honor in glory by my service and, and the things that he needs me to do here. Is it I that needs to start giving? <laughs> yeah. Is it I that needs to start witnessing, telling people about Jesus? Is it I that needs to become a helper when help is needed? Taking care of 1,100 people. We could use more help. Is it I? Is it I? And so we find the Passover memorial. Jesus knew, Jesus knew that um, we need things. But he also knows that we, he needs us to do things, to do things. And so the Passover memorial. Then the challenges for this text. I want to give you some challenges. Number one, an extravagant love calls for sacrifice giving an extravagant love and that's what this lady gave she gave an extravagant love when she took this perfume and anointed the Lord for burial you know most or much of our giving and our love could be described as mediocre 
It can, we can always do more. We can always give up more. We can always express our love more. And so a lot of times we become satisfied with mediocre love and expression of that love. This extravagant love is costly. It's costly. This Spikner, a year's wage. <laughs> and it's not what we give, but it's what we have left after we have given, after she, she gave it all. She took the whole, the whole, bo uh, the whole bottle, and, and even the jug was probably very valuable. And she broke it. She broke it. And so it was very costly. I think about the widow's mite. She didn't give much, but she gave all that she had. Not only that, but an extravagant love is personal and it is intimate. Personal and intimate. She bowed and she took her hair and she washed his feet with her hair. How intimate is, is that? Extravagant love isn't afraid to express itself. Did she have critics? Boy, did she. Why did you take this perfume and sell it, they said. Give it to the poor. Well, Jesus said you'll always have the poor. <laughs> and when we give to the poor, we don't realize we're not, that we're solving the poor problem around here. You're always going to have homeless people. You're always going to have needy people. They need to know that there is a God who lives and will love through Christian people. And we need to be those vessels. And so we find here that it was very personal, very intimate, and it expressed itself. It expressed itself. People a lot of times will criticize you for expressing your love for the Lord Jesus. A lot of times they're going to think that you're crazy. You mean you're going to go to church on Wednesday night? You mean you're going to go to church? Don't you know that the Cowboys kick off at 12? <laughs> yeah. Oh, how I love Jesus ought to be our answer. We love him because he first loved me. I remember years ago when I was first saved, and man, I was just, you know, I was so forward. I was so excited about my faith, I'd just tell everybody about it. My whole behavior had changed, and I remember one fellow told me, and I was an aircraft mechanic, and he said, man, you've gone, you've gone nuts over this thing. I said, we're all nuts, I just got screwed on to the right bolt, amen. Yeah, you'll have criticism. Yeah, you'll have enemies. Yeah, you'll have people that make fun of you. The Bible says we ought to be fools for Christ's sake. And so the Lord has some wonderful things in this whole, whole chapter. I don't have time. He has a prearranged plan for our lives. <laughs> That's a challenge, isn't it? In hard times, we look back and we see his plan unfolding. It deepens our faith. 
and it matures our outlook when problems and troubles come and we can say God has a plan. I don't know what it is today, but I know that God has a plan because he's, got me, he's brought me through stuff like this before. And so it deepens our faith, matures our outlook, and we see that he was there all the time. And it causes us to have a stronger trust in him when the troubles come, when the trials come, when the darkness comes, and we can say, trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Why? Because he has a prearranged plan for our lives, just like he had a plan to partake of that Passover. He had it all ready. Then the Lord, Lord's plan includes human instruments. You know, the disciples, even though they had the room already swept and cleaned, they still had to prepare the Passover meal. Still had to do that. He said, he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there, make ready for us. They had to, they had to get, get the meal together. And I'm glad, you know, to know that as great as God is, he gives us the honor to serve him. And he will use us as human instruments. I don't understand why God uses instruments, but I'm glad that he does. It's an honor. It's an honor to know that he uses us. The Lord has chosen to use us to reach and to touch other people. Do you know that? And there are needy people that the biggest thing that they have, the biggest need that they have is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too often we are satisfied with just being consumers instead of laborers. To take in but don't give out. Like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea takes in from the Jordan River, but it, it's stagnant. It doesn't give out. And you don't drink the water. <laughs> Seven times saltier than the Atlantic Ocean, they say. And so today, <coughs> understand in Mark chapter 8, and he talks about taking up our cross and following him. God has a cross for us, and the problem that we have is a lot of times we want an easy cross. Someone wrote this a number of years ago, and I, I remember it, and I, I can't believe I remembered it, but I did, and I looked it up on the internet. It's called the cross room. The cross room. A young man was at the end of his rope, seeing no way out. He dropped to his knees in prayer and said, Lord, I can't go on. He said, I have too heavy a cross to bear. And the Lord replied, my son, if you can't bear its weight, just place your cross inside this room. Then open that other door and pick out any cross you wish. The young man was filled with relief. Thank you, Lord, he sighed. And he did what he was told. Upon entering the other door, he saw many other crosses, some so large the tops were not even visible. Then he spotted a tiny cross leaning against the far wall. And he said, I'd like that one, Lord. <laughs> and the Lord replied, my son, 
That is the cross you just brought in. Yeah, we want a padded cross. We want a comfortable cross. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 to present our bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And so we learned that extravagant love calls for sacrificial giving. An extravagant love. The Lord has prepared a prearranged plan for our lives. Do we realize that? Do we trust him because of that? Number three challenge is that the Lord's plan includes human instruments. Are we willing to be one? And then last, the Lord's love is extended to all, even to the worst of us. I believe as Jesus identified that there were going to be one of them that would uh, betray him and hand him over to the authorities, that he was giving Judas the opportunity to repent and believe. I don't believe that was predestined that Judas would die lost. I believe he was given the opportunity to receive Christ. Yes, he had to betray him. Yes, he had to hand him over. But he didn't have to die the death that he died. And we'll talk about that later. But he, he died unsaved. But he didn't die unloved. The Bible tells us plainly in Romans chapter 5 that Christ died for sinners. He says, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, but yet peradventure for a good man would some even dare die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul accepted that when he wrote in the book of First Timothy chapter 1. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The closer that Paul got to the Lord, the more sinful he saw himself. And I've noticed that. Jesus came to save sinners. His love extends to the worst of us a lot of times we think well i'm not going to tell this person about jesus because he's the last person that would give up their sin to be saved oh no oh no they're the ones that need it the most and may even know it in, in closing let me say this that the cross of jesus is a display of god's extravagant love for us Number two, in Christ we have an extravagant gift of forgiveness and eternal life, plus a whole bunch of other stuff. And thirdly, I would challenge you to receive him and to serve him the rest of your life. And at the end of the day, you may have lots of regrets, but you'll be glad that Jesus is in your corner.
and that Jesus was on your side and that you were on his.